is our goal to show the world that anatomy and physiology is not secular. It is a biblical endeavor. And our hardwiring via God's handiwork, beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation, is throughout the Bible. sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests and you shall say to the people of Israel this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations it shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person you shall make no other like it in composition it is holy and it shall be holy to you whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. That's Exodus 30, verses 30 through 33. Thank you for joining Biblical Anatomy. Just like our other podcast, Discipleship Conditioning, we look forward to starting each podcast with a biblical verse. On Discipleship Conditioning, we go chapter by chapter through the Bible. Here, we pick a verse or set of verses that is most applicable to what we're going to talk about today in reference to anatomy. And in that way, we continually link the Bible with anatomy, hence the name biblical anatomy. It is our goal to show the world that anatomy and physiology is not secular. It is a biblical endeavor. And our hardwiring via God's handiwork beginning in Genesis and ending in Revelation is throughout the Bible. And so today we're going to talk about a molecule more specifically named a atom or an element, hydrogen, and the molecules and compounds that it forms as it pertains to the effect on our body that we have. Just as different types of oil were created in this part of the Bible exodus. And so you can see again and again, as you read through the Bible, how our anatomy is intertwined. And even outside of that, chemistry, which relates to our anatomy and physiology, and the composition of different things that we see on earth, is all rooted biblically. Perhaps one day, when we're done, I suppose, I don't think we'll ever be done, but done, I suppose, with biblical anatomy, we'll expand to biblical chemistry and biblical physics because it's all rooted in the Bible. But we thank you for joining today. We look forward to the discussion that we're about to have. Uh, Today, the benefit or the main focus of today is going to be speaking to the unique construction of hydrogen and the transfer effect it has on our human anatomy and physiology. Hydrogen has some unique properties. It is the only element on the periodic table that doesn't have a neutron, at least in its most common found form on Earth. Our mission is to bring together Christians who seek to understand their biblical anatomy, to connect science with scripture so we can better understand God's handiwork in our lives. So let's begin our discussion. Again, all these discussions, these podcast episodes, 
are based off a sticking point that a typical freshman in college taking anatomy and physiology would have. Again, in addition to that, we are teaching anatomy and physiology in a way that has not been taught before by applying a biblical context in addition to answering these com common questions or common stumbling points. Last week we talked about the microscopic portions of our body and the macroscopic portions of our body and the organization to and fro. And we began with that first organization level at the atomic level or the elemental level. So beginning at that as we continue into go deeper into anatomy and physiology, hydrogen is a very important element in our lives and it would be a good segue to begin our discussions here. So <clears throat> what is hydrogen? Um, <coughs> excuse me. If you look at a periodic table, it's going to be the very first element, top left, that you're going to see on the periodic table. It is given the number one to represent it. Uh, I won't go into the details on what else you'll find on a periodic table with atomic mass and those sorts of things. But if we look at the composition of hydrogen, what we have is a nucleus, and then we have electrons which orbit. And whether you're looking at a orbital ring model or an electron cloud model, um, even like a Dewey dot system, doesn't really matter. The electron that we have there is tied with the number, and that is one. Now it should be noted that on a periodic table, uh, what we represent on a periodic table is sort of a best case scenario, but is not the form that we most naturally find. Um, specific to electrons, specific to protons and neutrons, it is listed based on the most common version of that element that we find. And that gets into the world of isotopes, and hydrogen does have isotopes. There's usually three versions of hydrogen mentioned. We're not going to dig into that today. What we are going to focus on is the most common type of hydrogen, sometimes referred to as H1. I forget the exact percentage, I want to say like 92%. It's probably even higher than that as far as of hydrogen on this earth. If you were to find, would it be H1, H2, or H3? It's almost always going to be H1. And what's unique about H1, the typical form of hydrogen, is that in its nucleus, it does not have a neutron. It has a proton, but no neutron. In H2 and H3, there are neutrons available. In fact, there's one and two, and there's two and three. Um, and every other element that you would find on the periodic table would have at least one neutron. Generally, the number of neutrons you have corresponds with the atomic number that you have on the periodic table. So since hydrogen would be one, you would expect to find one proton and one neutron. And then if you change the number of neutrons, you change the isotope. And if you change the number of electrons, you change the charge. All that to say, the way we typically find hydrogen is found with one proton in its nucleus, no neutron, and one electron in its orbit. This is important as we begin to talk about pH. What is pH? Well, pH stands for the potence of hydrogen. Sometimes you might hear it said or written as the power of hydrogen or something else, uh, but it's most commonly referred to as the potence of hydrogen. 
So here's kind of a mini soapbox moment for me. If you learn from me, you won't often hear me use acronyms. Here's a good example, ATP. You won't hear me say ATP a ton. I will say adenosine triphosphate or I will lecture without including ATP. I will just write adenosine triphosphate or I will create a quiz or a test and I will not include ATP. I will just say adenosine triphosphate. The reason I do that is we get too dependent on acronyms. pH is a great example. Most people cannot tell you what pH stands for. Most people can't tell you what adenosine triphosphate or ATP stands for. So when I was in your shoes and I was learning anatomy and physiology for the first time, every time I would see an acronym, I oftentimes I'd have to flip back to its first occurrence to remind myself what it stood for. But instead of just reading ATP, because that's what it said, I would read adenosine triphosphate and I would add to it. So I always knew what the acronym meant. And I do the same thing with pH, potence of hydrogen. Why is this important? Well, if you just memorize pH, you lose sight that hydrogen is a part of this, that it's even included. And since it's potence of hydrogen, hydrogen is the critical component of it. And it's important that you know that. So when we look at a pH scale, what we'll see is a rating of 0 to 14. And from 0 to 7 is acidic, and from 7 to 14 is basic or alkaline. And this is all based on how much hydrogen is in the solution. And each number you drop, so let's say a pH of 5 versus a pH of 4, is going to have 10 times more hydrogen than the previous number, working sort of in an inverted direction. So stated again, a pH of 4 represents a liquid or a colloid perhaps with a pH concentration that has a hydrogen content that is 10 times greater than the same type of liquid or colloid that has a pH of 5. Okay, A pH of 3, 10 times more hydrogen than a pH of 4. So on and so forth, all the way up and down the scale. It makes it pretty simple because you can just move the decimal over one spot. And if you're in chemistry, you'll, you'll get into that. But with an anatomy and physiology, we have to understand how this affects us and why this matters. Well, there's certain areas of our body that we need high acidity. And there's certain areas of our body that we need low acidity. A real easy example would be the stomach versus the small intestine. In the stomach, you want a very high acidity or a low pH so that you can destroy molecules and compounds and uh, even pathogens that come into your system before they pass forward and eventually get absorbed. But when that fluid, that acidic fluid, goes through the pyloric sphincter to the small intestine, specifically the duodenum part of the small intestine, you don't want that high acidity. Uh, the structure there, the duodenum is not built for that acidity. So you have the pancreas, the main player, which secretes uh, pancreatic juice, which is highly alkaline and balances that out. So with that balance, you have an area in the stomach of a pH of say two and a half, and then you have an area in the duodenum of say a pH of seven, seven and a half. And so we're going to go through stages. Now, if you didn't have that pH of two and a half, some of those bad things, those pathogens could make it all the way through and the effect would be very different on our bodies. And so it's necessary to have that and have it sort of staggered. 
Another way we see hydrogen go through the system is through the respiratory system. Beginning in the tissues when we acquire carbon dioxide, uh, chemically carbon dioxide merges with water, H2O, if there is an enzyme called carbonic anhydrase present. What happens then is you get carbonic acid, which segues into the next uh, section of our discussion here, acids versus bases. Acids, we know that pretty much all acids, whether they're weak or strong acids, donate hydrogen. So then instead of carbonic acid, what you have is bicarbonate, and you have this free-floating hydrogen. But what's really interesting is how that hydrogen exists. We mentioned earlier that hydrogen has a proton in its nucleus, no neutron, and it has one electron. So you have this big compound of carbonic acid with hydrogen within it, and you pull hydrogen out. Now that electron is based on the charge associated, and there's electronegativity where there is some attraction there. And what happens is that electron decides it's going to stay with the previous molecule due to that electronegativity. So now what you have is hydrogen by itself, or specifically just the proton by itself. And so when we see an effect on our bodies, we with pH, we look and we see these protons floating around, these hydrogen minus the electron. And we need to balance that out. And we do so with bases. Uh, the one mentioned in this example was bicarbonate. So as blood continues to flow back to the pulmonary system, the respiratory system, eventually we need to use bicarbonate to acquire that hydrogen, reuniting it with an electron. Not necessarily and actually quite unlikely that it would be the same electron that it once had. Talk about that in a minute. And then we reverse through that chemical equation to the point where with the help of carbonic anhydrase, we get carbon dioxide and we get water. Water we hang on to, carbon dioxide we lose through the respiratory system. Now, there's a lot of chemistry that we've talked there, and an important point within that is if you're like me and you were a freshman in college and your least favorite class was chemistry, but your favorite class was anatomy and physiology, recognize that there is a disconnect there because there is plenty of chemistry that is occurring in your body right now and will always be occurring in your body. So if you're interested in anatomy and physiology, hopefully that gets your wheels spinning in terms of chemistry to help you uh, increase your level of enjoyment there. Now chemistry is dealing almost exclusively with things that are microscopic, which as we talked about last week, makes things difficult because we're so often focused on things that are macroscopic that we can see. Moving along to the acquisition and elimination of hydrogen, we mentioned earlier that the acquisition of hydrogen is going to be in the tissues through the carbon dioxide in that mixture with water. And the elimination would be one, the respiratory system as we get rid of carbon dioxide, but two could also be the renal system. And this is where we continue that discussion on bicarbonate and binding again with hydrogen to form carbonic acid. So if we were to write this all out, carbon dioxide plus water essentially equals, with the help of carbonic anhydrase, carbonic acid, which then equals bicarbonate plus hydrogen. 
and we would flip those equal signs around and we would say that the equation works both ways, it could go the other way as well, students may ask, well, why, why even go this way in the equation if eventually you're just going to go back the other way in the equation? Well, again, I go back to something I said probably about five minutes ago, and that's with areas of the body that need acidity, like the stomach, and areas of the body that don't need acidity, like the small intestine. In fact, to balance that acidity, they need a basic nature or an alkaline nature. So what you'll see happen is when you have that carbonic acid split, and you'll take that hydrogen and you may allow it to diffuse through the stomach into gastric juice specifically to cells that secrete hydrochloric acid, uh, which would help further secrete that. In fact, in that instance, it would be hydrochloric acid, which is the acid, not carbonic acid. But you get my idea. You get, you get my point. So we may release a hydrogen in that direction, but then later on as we move through the cardiovascular system and we get down to the duodenum, we may pull that away through the pancreas or through the duodenum, we may pull that acidity away and sort of reunite it. And in that instance, we would need something like bicarbonate for that to happen. In the kidneys, we may have sort of a similar drop off and pick up um, because it's the one location other than the respiratory system where we lose carbon dioxide, where we want a lower pH to exist and we can lose a little bit of hydrogen through the urinary system. We know that because the pH of urine is about six, which would be on the acidic side. So when we have too much hydrogen, we're going to increase our respiration so we can get rid of carbon dioxide through that carbonic acid system. But we're also going to increase the amount of hydrogen that we lose through the renal system, through the kidneys, which may change the acidity of the urine to be even less than say six maybe a five point something. So there are many ways that we can handle this hydrogen and use it to our benefit and recognizing that electron, that proton and that lack of neutron and the basis structure of it and how that interaction exists within carbonic acid can be very beneficial. And I'll shift gears to a little bit of a story here, a short story. I remember junior year of college, it was probably the sixth or seventh anatomy and physiology class that I'd taken at that point in time. And I used to get really frustrated because some textbooks would say that um, carbonic acid donates hydrogen and some would say carbonic acid donates a proton. And I would say, well, it can't be both. So where's the mix up? What's going on here? And it was one of those aha moments as I flipped through the pages and I sat there and thought and I looked at the whiteboard and I spent hours in the library by myself trying to crack this equation and when I went back to my original chemistry class and realized the molecular structure, I shouldn't say molecular, the atomic structure of hydrogen did not have that neutron and that electron could be maneuvered to change the charge or go with electronegativity, what I realized is that since the neutron doesn't exist and the electron is pulled, all you have left is a proton. And so when some textbooks would say that carbonic acid is a hydrogen donor, it meant the exact same thing as the other textbooks that said that carbonic acid was a proton donor because 
when you rid yourself of the electron, you can still call yourself hydrogen, but in fact, all you have left is a proton. So I'll never forget that story. I'll never forget those hours in the library. And someone who was writing that textbook took that for granted. And so if I was ever to include a textbook on the subject, I would make sure to slow down and highlight that section because it's often glazed over in a point of confusion. As we continue our podcast, we want to remind everyone that we are self-sponsored. We do this to keep commercials out of this so that you can focus on the lesson at hand, so that you can choose a podcast based on the topic that you're struggling with, and that we can pay respect to our Heavenly Father with a verse or set of verses. It is my hope that I'm able to answer some anatomy and physiology questions that you have. Uh, It is more so my hope that you are encouraged to understand more about anatomy from a biblical point of view and examine your Bible just as much as you examine your anatomy and physiology. Our website is erratphysiology.com. Truth be told, that's probably going to be changing as we go along. Uh, I have recently purchased biblicalanatomy.com, and so I would recommend that you use that. They both anatomy and phys or not excuse me not anatomy and physiology error at physiology and biblical anatomy point to the same location so either one will get to you get you to where we're hanging out i created the name error at physiology a number of years ago and although i enjoy the name i realize that it's not the easiest to say and it's not the easiest for people to remember and type into a url Not everybody remembers where Ararat comes from, from Genesis to the Bible, as the mountain that Noah's Ark rested upon. And physiology, there's a number of people that think physiology starts with an F. So Ararat physiology, as much as I like the name, uh, it's not the easiest to be found through a search engine or through just a URL typing. And so we also use the name biblicalanatomy.com confident that everybody can spell biblical and anatomy and it gets our point across on what we're trying to do connect the bible with our anatomy so i'd recommend you go to www.biblicalanatomy.com it'll take you to error at physiology where everything that we have is both podcasts can be found there discipleship conditioning as well as biblical anatomy biblical anatomy is released on mondays discipleship conditioning is released on wednesdays i am the host for both shows and I've stated the goals of our shows and our mission statements within each show uh, on a weekly basis. So our take home message for today uh, really is for those of you like me that struggle with chemistry and really don't like chemistry. Hopefully after today you realize that your body is full of chemistry and there's a lot of chemistry necessary for your body to function on a daily basis. So when you go to your fav- from your favorite class, Anatomy and Physiology, down the hall or over to the next building or maybe even clear across campus to your lecture hall or your lab where you have chemistry and you're not enjoying that as much, just remember that your anatomy and physiology is full of chemistry. In fact, your metabolic rate, which we'll talk about in future episodes, is essentially just chemistry. So keep that in mind. And like we always do, let's conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen.